to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And if you would rest your eyes on verse 5. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent. Not to be severe, this punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For through this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. We thank you. You are our firm foundation. Upon Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. We pray that your blessings would be upon this house. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. 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 You are my firm, my firm foundation, my salvation. Amen. That was all right. That's my song. Amen. Just, just the t Amen. Don't do much. Don't do much. Testing one. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Some years ago, a retired teacher decided to open up his home. He owned a cottage in Maine. And in his retirement, he wanted to give back. And so he opened up his home to teach a Bible study for children. The children that he selected lived on a nearby island. Once he sailed to the island and picked them up, he decided that he would start with something very basic and simple so that the children would be comfortable with him. So he asked the question, how many of you have ever seen the Atlantic Ocean? To his surprise, none of them replied or responded. They looked in, at him as if they had seen a ghost. They clearly did not have the answer. So thinking that they had misunderstood, he asked the question again. How many of you have seen the Atlantic Ocean? All he got a second time was blank stares and looks of confusion. Then he realized that these children, though they lived on an island completely surrounded by the Atlantic Ocean, had grew up hearing its surf and had witnessed the storms and seen the wind dashing upon the waves. But none of them knew the Atlantic Ocean by name, surrounded by the Atlantic Ocean without knowing that that, in fact, is what they were looking at. So it is with elephants in the room. We back the elephants in the room. I realized after I preached the first sermon that I might have opened up some wounds and sent you back to wolves 
um, as a sheep among wolves. And the Lord made it clear that I need to come back and kind of give you some more tools for your toolbox. And so elephants in the room is kind of like the experience of that teacher. When secrets have become a part of your life, it's like becoming or like being surrounded by an ocean of water. You're so used to the water that it becomes like a pillow to you. It's comfortable. It's become your lifestyle. And you actually think that dysfunction is function. It is a function, but it's not healthy. Uh, it's become your norm. It's the way you live. And you've learned how to live in the eye of a storm on a daily basis. But once you know what you were never told or fully understand the elephant in the room, now what? I didn't know I was poor until somebody told me. I went to college and they said, they started des describing what poor was and all the statistics and the, where people lived and how much they earned. And I looked at it and I said, man, I was poor. So then my question was, so now what? You, you just told me I'm bad off, but what you going to do about it? How do you handle the trash that has been ignored for years? What do you do when the secret is no longer a secret? Now what? I'm going to address this whole idea. How long does somebody have to suffer? before it's enough. How do you, when do you get all the juice out of that thing they did to you? We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. In order for our brokenness to be fixed, we got to answer the question, now what? We, we had a couple good days. The medicine worked. And here's how that happens. You start the medicine, the pain goes away, and you finish half the bottle. You go to the first three counseling sessions. And uh, you get a couple good meals, and then you stop going. And then you're right back to where you started. To get fixed, you've got to answer the question, now what? What, do you, what we're going to discover in a, in a very uh, common passage in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, and also 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to go as far as I can go because i got more sermon than we have time. Amen. So we're going to discover principles from the Apostle Paul's writing to the Corinthian church that was a hot mess. This church was a hot mess. They were divided over leadership, over finances and education. They had cliques in the church. They were divided over Christian liberties. Could you drink wine sociably or shouldn't you drink wine? Uh, could you go to the movies? Shouldn't you go to the movies? Can women wear dresses or they have to wear pants? Can you wear lipstick and earrings? They were arguing and, dis and disagreement about those kinds of things. Christian liberties, doubtful things, things where the Bible is not absolute, where we don't have mandates, where you have to be governed by the spirit of love and being considerate of the weaker brother. They were arguing over that. Uh, they were arguing over the role of women in the church. Should women wear head coverings when they come to church or should the woman sit in silence? Should they have conversation? Should they be teaching? Shouldn't they be teaching? 
in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. They were arguing about that. They were fighting at the communion. Some were getting drunk, blasted, waiting until they got to church for communion. They didn't have uh, Welch's grape juice. They had real wine. And so when they got there, they didn't come to celebrate the Eucharist or the, uh, the Lord's table, the agape feast. They actually were getting there to, to get a good meal and to get tore down, tore up. We say tore up. That's what they were coming to church for. They were fighting over spiritual gifts. Uh, if you didn't have the gift of tongues and they saw you as inferior, there were the haves and the have-nots. They were arguing. Uh, one person would be prophesying in one corner, another would be speaking in tongues. It was total and absolute confusion. This church was a mess. And then they were messed up over theology and giving. They made a promise to send money to, to tithe to the building fund. And now you're into three months, a year, and the money still hasn't come. Nobody in the church is like that. But they still hadn't given what they promised. So Paul had to send a, a, a caravan of uh, leaders to the church to say, look, you made a promise. Give it up. Uh, so they were arguing about that. They were arguing over, did Jesus come back? Did he really die? Can you die and go to heaven? Uh, since no flesh, no corruptible flesh can have it heaven. So they were, I mean, this was a hot mess of a church. They needed to join New Direction. <laughs> and so the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians, uh, they were challenging Paul's apostleship. Maybe he really wasn't the apostle. Maybe he, so all of that was going on with his church, and he refers to them as his spiritual children. I would have denied them. We would have to take some type of DNA test. But he called them his spiritual children. But when we come to chapter, we're going we're to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and then we're going to jump in over into 2 Corinthians chapter 2, which is connected to chapter 5, the same problem that Paul was made aware of. Sometimes people know more about our church that don't attend the church than those who come to the church. And so what Paul was talking about by way of the problems in the church, he got it second-handedly. He wasn't sitting in the pew. Somebody wrote him. Somebody texted him. He got an Instagram. He got tweeted that there's some problems in, your, in the church you started, Pastor Paul. So here are the two, two, two uh, issues, that just two things we're going to look at today. One, I want to consider the elephant in the room how it can affect everyone in the entire family, how the elephant in the room can affect the entire family. In this case, the family that it affected was the entire church. The elephant in the room affected the entire church. And secondly, I want to talk about elephant removal. Element, elephant removal requires four stages. If you are going to deal with the secrets of your family, the things that you are hiding that constantly are staring you in the face, that are constantly haunting you like unexpected ghosts. They just pop up and say, boo, and they just wreck your day. You need to know how to remove the elephant. So I want to begin in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, uh, if you would uh, um, allow me to. Uh, and if you don't, I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, and um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, here's what we read. It is actually reported that there is a sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality is not even named among folks who are unsaved. Unsaved folk don't do what you're doing. 
that, that a man has his father's wife and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, for I indeed as absent in body but present in spirit have already judged as though I were present, say present, him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, when you come back to church, along, and he's talking to the spiritual leaders, along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. For your glorying is not good. Say, not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? So here we see, uh, okay, we got a problem. How about my notes are all turned around? But we good. Somebody say good. <laughs> what the apostle Paul does is identify the elephant that's in the room. You see where he does that? He said, he talked about a private sin that had become public. The Apostle Paul calls it out. He said, I've learned that there's a church member, a professing Christian, who is having sexual relations with his stepmother, who is currently married to his father. Sounds like the days of our life. Uh, this was the sin of incest, and it was occurring in the church by professing believers who were coming freely. No, no, there was no shame in their game. There was no, no desire to repent or to change. There was no guilt. They felt totally comfortable in their behavior. Now, while Paul identifies this particular sin as sexual, though it occurred outside of the church, it had become public. The people in the church knew about it, but nobody was doing anything about it. It was the elephant in the room. When they strolled up in there, if they sat on the same pew or across from each other, when they walked by the offering plate, everybody knew it. This brother is having sexual relationships with his father's wife. Now, let's exchange the words incest for whatever you want to fill in the blank with. Your elephant could be an addiction. Uh, some of us have an addiction where we eat everything that's not nailed down. Our diet is that we eat everything that we can eat. You may have an alcohol addiction, a smoking addiction, a drug addiction. Maybe the elephant in the room for you is that you've been sexually abused, abandoned. You have on your resume now a divorce that you never wanted. Maybe uh, your spouse or someone that you were dating, you found out that your best friend and your boyfriend were involved in ways that they shouldn't have been, and now that knowledge is, it, it, you're, and here's what happens. Even when you don't know, others do, and 
The part of the pain is they knew, but they didn't tell you. And they allowed you to think that this person was your friend and they were really in your corner. And all the time, they're talking about it and, and laughing about it. At least you think so. And, and, and so your elephant in the room may be you've been betrayed, you've been rejected by a friend. Maybe you had an unwanted pregnancy. Nobody knows about it. You gave that child up for adoption. Or you might have had an abortion. I don't know what that elephant, that thing in your mind that you know you did and others know that you did and it's no longer a secret, but it's just like a rock in your shoe. It just aggravates you and it nags you and you just can't shake. And anybody know what I'm talking about? Maybe somebody made a promise to you. I don't know how many young men who are a part of, of families where parents are no longer together and the primary custodial parent is the female and she has made public enemy number one, the man that was involved in her life, but now he's no longer involved. Now she has demonized that man to the child. And so in response to how negative the, the, the wife or the, the, this mother is towards the father who, gave, who, who, who impregnated her and they shared the child together because of how horrible she talked about him, the man doesn't show up. And so then the child suffers, and then sometimes out of pressure and guilt, you'll call, and you'll say, uh, I'm coming, and I'm going to be there. And then you hear her in the background bad-mouthing you, talking about you, even though you told your child you're coming. He's waiting for you. The bag is packed. The meal is, the lunch is there, and you don't show up. Disappointment. Maybe that elephant, and I know so many young men who are grown up and they're angry and, and they're bitter, and, and the way they take out their anger is, is to, they don't fight and punch and do those, they, they, they pull out a gun and a knife and they kill you just at a drop of the hat because they have all of this bitterness, that elephant in the room that was never addressed. That blessing that they never received and, uh, from their father. And when you don't receive the blessing that God intended for you through those significant individuals that should have been a part of your life, who should have been saying those words, what you will do as a woman or a man, you'll do like Esau. You'll do anything for a blessing. You'll do anything for a blessing. The elephant in the, in the, in the room in the church of Corinth was on full display until the apostle Paul, he called it out. A man in the congregation is sleeping, having sex. One of the things that happens when the church doesn't talk about these things, we're so out of touch and we're so old school in our way of thinking of church. There are people, one of the, and I shared this, we, we went from, and I was a member of Christian Stronghold, we went from regular glass cups to plastic cups, the ones that we use because of communicable diseases that people come to church who have HIV, people who come to church with other socially transmitted diseases. And we, we understand now you don't have to die from AIDS. You don't have to die from HIV. Now, when it becomes full-blown, then you will die. But, they're, they're, they're the, but the church doesn't talk about it, and, and that's the elephant in the room because sometimes those people with those diseases, sometimes those children who have made their decisions to marry someone of the same sex, there are children, there are family members. And so when the church is silent, people die. People die. 
And then we scratch our heads and say, why are they at that wedding? And why are they celebrating this? And, and how could they be a part of it? It's because we haven't addressed it. Now, how did the family of God handle the elephant in the room when Paul says there's incest, there's sexual sin, there's brokenness here, there's something that is happening that is breaking the heart of God? How did they respond? The Bible says, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who is doing this? The church, through its leadership, was comfortable with what should have brought them to tears. The things that are going on in the world today that we would have been embarrassed to see on TV or to hear somebody say that would have made us cry when you think about those uh, uh, folks in the synagogue and some crazy person just goes in and just guns down 90-year-old and 70-year-old and, and people just minding their business or going into a nightclub and somebody just, there was a time when that would have brought us to tears. But it's happening so regularly and frequently, we aren't even bothered. We've moved to the next story. While 200,000 people right now in California, many of them are homeless because of fires and for the, for the miscare that we've given to the creation that God said had dominion over. We aren't talking about it. And so people are dying. They were comfortable. Instead of accepting dysfunction that God calls sin, God calls sin. We don't even hear that word anymore. It's an archaic word in our society. God calls it sin in the name of keeping the peace and let's just go along to get along. And what grown people do behind closed doors is grown people's business. It's the church's business if you profess to be a Christian. And many churches don't want to touch the elephant in the room because then the offering will leave the room. <laughs> Paul says, cry about what brings God to tears. What breaks the heart of God should break our hearts. Unconfessed sin had become a lifestyle that grieves the heart of God. Behavior in our family that doesn't please God should not please us. It doesn't matter who it is. If it violates the word of God and you know that it's sin and you may ignore it, that's the elephant in the room. God is not pleased. And what doesn't please him ought to grieve you because the spirit of God dwells in you. And one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction. He doesn't cause us to feel lingering guilt, but he will grieve you by things that do not please the Lord. Now, have you ever gone home? After a busy day at work, you come in and say, hmm, what in the world is that horrible smell? And what brought this to mind is I sat in a barber shop on Friday and listened to men talk for about an hour about a baby who came into the barber shop and cut loose. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Everybody was on the floor laughing about what this Four-year-old baby did with a pamper, a four-year-old with a pamper on. <laughs> Something was unusual about that. <laughs> yeah, it was marinated. Whatever. Yeah, okay. That's, yeah, okay. So you come in the house, and you smell this just horrendous odor. And you say, what in the world is 
thinking? The phone rings. You go answer the phone if you got a landline, or your wife calls, or somebody calls. You go back out to the car, get your things. You come back in the house, and you get busy, uh, whatever you got to do. And before you know it, you don't smell the odor anymore. What happens is our sense of smell has, even when you have perfume on, you'll be saying, can you smell it? You, you can, I can smell you 10 miles away. Yes, I can smell. But your senses, has a, you have adapted to it. I want you to understand the, the elephant in the room is like that cologne or that horrible odor. When you don't address it, when you don't call it out, what happens is what God calls abnormal, what causes God to cry is now uncomfortable to you because you don't smell the stench anymore. You, you don't smell it anymore, but it doesn't mean it doesn't stink. Oh, yeah. They don't come to my house and, well, I guess they don't. You comfortable with what you call clean ain't clean. When creatures are running across your stuff and greeting you at the door, talking about, how you doing? Don't stay too long. <laughs> you know, I'm waiting for dinner. <laughs> you can't get dinner if somebody's here talking. To, you know, you don't want to be. And people just as comfortable. I've seen. Anyway, let's move on. Amen. <laughs> it doesn't mean that it doesn't smell because you're used to it. Because this is the way it's always been. It doesn't mean it has to stay that way. It doesn't mean that it's not causing the heart of God to be broken or like a slow leak. It is running out the energy and the abundant life that God says, I've come to give you. Instead of you experiencing the earth in the fullness thereof, the lion, the elephant, the elephant in the room drains the power of God for all of your potential right out of your life. Somebody say amen. They should have taken radical action to deal with the elephant. Paul says, you shouldn't, shouldn't you have put out of the fellowship the man who had been doing this. There are times when there are people in the church who are in sin, not just sexual sin, where they refuse to repent. They're not going to apologize. They did wrong, but they ain't apologizing. And not only are they refusing to apologize, but this is an ongoing problem. Paul says, when that kind of stench is in the church, what you ought to do where there's no repentance, the church should put them out. That's in the Bible, right? How are you going to put them out? I can't understand. I remember I had a, a meeting with the, with, the, with the elders of my former church. We sat around the table, the deacons, and there's a guy who was sleeping with multiple women in the church. I brought the women in because uh, they, they, they wanted to fist fight. So I'm trying, let's, let's get a peace pipe here. Let's see, let's, the peace pipe is the word of God. Bring them in and, and the elders and the, and the deacons all around the table and everybody went around. The brother was repentant. Uh, one of the sisters was repentant. Another one just went into, she wanted to tell us everything that ever happened and how, you know, we don't need all the details, thank you. She was repentant. Then the third woman that was sitting in there She's, she's just, she's just, you can see the smoke come out of her ears. So everybody goes around and does a kumbaya, thank you, we're forgiven, we'll move on. And then she starts, and she just, I mean, you talk about four-letter words, she just went in. And everybody looked at, looked at her, then they looked at me. Then I looked at her, I said, 
you have to leave. And they looked at her and they looked at me. I said, yep, until you're ready to repent, leave. She got up and pushed the chair and the table. I think my wife was in there too. And she just boom, 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 and slammed out of the door and everything. And they said, what is she going to do if you put her out of the church? How is she going to be exposed to the word if you put her out of the church? Well, the Bible says when people don't repent, you put them out. Now, here's the interesting thing. Before that girl could even get home, her phone was ringing. One of the elders who was semi-retired called on the phone, you can have Bible study at my house. I want you to understand that what this woman did not recognize is she represented for a generational curse that was on that family. All of the women had been mothers at age 15, down for third and fourth generations, five kids in 20, whatever this girl had to be, 23 or 20, already had five kids. What she represented was God's opportunity to break that yoke, to break that chain. And so when this elder, in the name of we not put nobody out of the church, intervened, in violation of my leadership as well as the word, he basically, that woman never recovered from that. Now, she got two other daughters pregnant out before, before uh, they got out of their teens. And so what the scripture says, there are times, he says, instead of being comfortable with what God is uncomfortable with, there are times when you need to ask people to leave. You know, there's times where there are people in your life that are constantly doing things that are cutting your heart out, that if you do not take a stand and say, if you do it again, you can't return, you have become to them an enabler. And an enabler is somebody who actually is financing and supporting someone else's sin. And somehow, you're what happens, what the benefit for the enabler is by you helping that person to stay helpless, they need you. But when they become strong enough to be independent and they don't need you to be bailing them out and feeling sorry for them, then you've got to deal with whatever's missing in your life. So we want to see when you can tell somebody, I'm not going to take this. This is the boundary. If you pass this, cross this, you got to go. You got to hit the bricks. Lovingly, you got to go. There's a time, Paul says, you should have said to this person, you can't come back if you are unwilling to change. I was listening to the words of uh, Gladys Knight. She said, it's sad to think we're not going to make it. And it's gotten to the point where we just can't fake it. For some ungodly reason, we just won't let it die. I guess neither one of us, neither one of us want to say goodbye. I keep on wondering, wondering, what am I going to do without you? And I guess you must wonder the same thing. So we go on together living the lie because neither one of us want to say goodbye. Sometimes you got to say, I, you, you, no, 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 this, this elephant see you. I, I'm moving on. I'm not begging you to stay. I can't make you do right. But as for me and my house, this, the line has been crossed. 
If you go any beyond, no, 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 I'm not going to be a supporter of what allows you to continue to bring Satan into this home, into this marriage, into my mind. Now, why did the church family need to deal with the elephant? Why you got to put your foot down in relationships and say, you know what? I love you. I want to be with you. But if you don't want to be with me, I did not beg you to, to, to start the relationship. I ain't begging you to stay. Why? Why? He says, look at verse 6. He said, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast, a little leaven, leaven if the whole, blunt, whole lump, a little bit of sin in your life that you know about, that you do nothing about, it's like cancer. It spreads through the entire family, spreads through the entire church. Yeah. That's what will happen. You will find yourself, somebody got the flu, I'm going to work. <laughs> I'm going to go to work. <laughs> I ain't got no time off. No, you stay home because what you have is like that leaven. You're going to make everybody sick. So when there's an elephant in the room, but we fail to address it by taking radical action, the danger is that now your entire family is exposed to one child who won't come home at night. And you stay up until 3 in the morning, you're waiting for them. Then they show up and they want to fight you. They want to curse you. I don't want them to go into a home. I don't want them to get involved in, in the legal system. No, no. Let me help you pack your bags. I hope they will take you. And when they're taking my hands off of you, uh, they may have to handcuff me to get that death grip off. But you will not disrespect me in my home. He said, a little leaven, these little kids that are watching the older kid put you to the test, and you're failing the test. You're allowing it to spread. So the, so the reason we need to do is secret sin spreads when we ignore it. it. It spreads when we ignore it. It's like the fire. I was playing with matches. I used to love playing with matches. Oh, man, I just love to see the fire. Smack the match. Oh, yeah. Strike the match. Yeah. Woo. Now, I wasn't a, I wasn't a what do you call a, a, a pyromaniac. No, I wasn't a pyromaniac. I was just curious. I was curious. Let me tell you how I know I was just curious, and I, I, don't, I never play with matches anymore. I got bored. I told you about this, striking the matches, striking the matches. This is on the day of my aunt's funeral. I'm striking the matches. I said, man, it went boring. So I took the toilet tissue. I started burning the toilet tissue to see how that would burn. Ah, that was a little more exciting. And then as I'm, I'm burning the toilet tissue, that burns pretty fast. And back in the day, they had the cotton curtains that go in the bathroom. Well, before I knew it, the toilet paper in fact, struck the toilet tissue. The toilet tissue struck the curtains, and the whole bathroom started to go up. And I took off. Bing! I didn't tell nobody. I was gone. I ain't going to get burned up, you know? <laughs> and it so happened, really, the only thing that burned was the curtains. But when my mother found out what I was doing, she started another fire. <laughs> when I got to the funeral, everybody was crying. They were brokenhearted. They were distraught. I had not a tear to shed. I had cried my last tear. 
They, she, she put it on me, man. She put it on me. Sin is like fire. If you don't deal with it, it will spread and it will lead to destruction. Here's another reason why church need to deal with it. You need to deal with it in your home, in your own personal life. Secret sin, the elephant in the room, stops spiritual growth. Here's what he says in verses 7 and 8. Are you with me? He said, get rid of the old yeast, the old leaven, so that you may be the new unleavened bread. There's something that the Lord wants you to be in practice. We already are everything that we should be in Christ because he who get, began a good work in you will perfect. He wants to perfect what's in you that, so that we will be the unleavened, that we will look like the Passover lamb, that we will be conformed to the image of Christ. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old leaven, our old former life of malice and wickedness, but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So there are things that the Lord wants to bring out of us so that we will be like Jesus. But when you are hiding things and you don't deal with things that are spreading not just to you but to others, it prevents you from growing in Christ. You know, well, my, my Bible not, I don't get all excited about Bible study. My prayer life is not that, that amazing because you're not growing. I was in the eighth grade, and just to be honest, just, somebody told me that uh, I had gray in my hair. And I looked in the bathroom, my fro, and looked in the mirror, and lo and behold, I had a big gray spot in my hair. So I took my, my, my big old afro comb, you know, <laughs> back in there, I started combing. And the more I combed, the more that spot spread. And then so I realized that somebody had sprayed hair dye, gray hair dye, in my hair. <laughs> And so I put my head in the water in the sink, and I'm starting to wash it. And, and then I look up, my whole head is completely gray, and I'm, like, terrified. I'm 14 years old, and I look like I'm 95, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I, the more water I put in, the more it spread. Then I went back to the room. I had no pride, no shame in my game. I was crying. All my, my, my friends, they were looking at me. They were panicked. My hair was gray. And then one of these little girls gave me some bubble bath. I, I didn't care. I took the bubble bath, went back in the bathroom, and took that cleansing agent. And before you know it, the gray was out. I want you to know that the elephant in the room, when we don't deal with it and it spread, it's like that dye. It goes through and it alters your appearance. You don't look like Jesus. You don't look like a lamb. You don't look like a follower of Christ. Your light is not shining. People can't see the difference that Jesus makes. But, in, but when you apply the purity of the word, it'll cleanse it. It will change you. And you will be that lamb, that, that believer who is reflecting the image of Christ. The elephant in the room will affect the entire family. Let me quickly share with you how to Amen. <laughs> uh, there are four stages of removing elephants. The first one, and we'll just we'll just look at this one. Maybe. It's the revelation stage. Say revelation. revelation. To remove any confusion is stage one. You got to remove all the confusion. Paul called it out. It's sexual sin. What is the elephant? What is it in your life 
that is stunning your growth, that has a potential of, of spreading, not just in your life, but to the, the people that are around you and become generational. What is it? Identify it. Why do you have a problem with trusting men? Why do you have a problem with people that you say that are your friends and they befriend others? Now you feel betrayed. Why do you have a problem rejoicing with those who rejoice? It could be that you felt rejection. And sometimes the rejection is not somebody, you feel rejected by God. You should have this by now. You should have gone here by now. You should have children. You should have a husband. You should have a wife by now. And so you need to identify what is the revelation is identifying what is holding you. What is it? Paul said, it's been reported to me, and he was very clear. What is holding you back? Somebody say amen. amen. Here's the second stage. Say reprimand. That involves confrontation in love. Here's what Paul says. Indeed, you ought to put, you, when, you, when you find out what it is, you're not going to put it up on the trophy case. You want to get rid of it. Paul says, make no provision for the fulfilling of the lust of the flesh. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your left hand, if you, I, so there's some rest. he said, now we got to confront that elephant. You got to deal with that devil. You got to deal with whatever's trying to hold you back. You need to confront it. He says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are together, along with my, me in spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one, confront it. What is the elephant? Confront it. That's reprimand. You're going to deal with this. Here's how you deal with it. Decide on a plan. He says, I've already judged. He said, I'm not even with you, but I've already made a decision. The problem is you don't just get up in somebody's face. And you don't have to go back and dig up bones. I'm going to get the skeletons out of there. No, 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 no. There's some things that you just need to be. Leave it in the graveyard. But if it's, if it's something that's impacting your life right now, get it, make a decision. David says, you, your word will instruct me and guide me in the way that I should go. James said, if you lack wisdom, ask of God, who give it to all men liberally. He doesn't hold back. David prayed. He said, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of law. And so the first thing is I'm trying to decide. But how am I trying to learn what God wants me to do? I'm praying about it. Before you confront somebody or a situation, you need to be praying about the right decision. Here's another thing. Declare that you have, that you're taking authority over that. Whatever it is. And he said, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, this is how you, once you get your decision, some direction, you take authority, decide, and then declare. You hear the people, declare and decree. That's biblical when it's not taken out of context. He said, in the authority of Jesus Christ, in the name of Christ, isn't it interesting? You can mention any other name, any other religious name, Buddha, Krishna, Confucius, Baha'i. Nobody got a problem with other religious names, but just mention the name Jesus. I want you to understand the devil don't want you declaring anything in the authority that's inherent in that name. Because at the name of Jesus, demons tremble. 
when you speak the name of Jesus, the authority that is his, he said, all authority on earth and in heaven is mine. So when you speak to people who are sick in the name and the authority of Jesus, sick people get healed, blind people receive their sight, dead folk who've been in the grave for four days will get up and walk. And if he gets, if you get real strong with the name and the authority of Christ, even the seas will obey. The seas will obey. Because there's authority in that name. So you look at that elephant. You look at that situation. I don't care how difficult it may seem. I don't care how, how, how intimidating you may feel. Just call on that name that is above every name. The Bible said that the name of Jesus, every knee. How many knees? Every knee. Every knee will bow. And every tongue. Every tongue. That elephant's got to go. That situation that's been burdening you. That thought that's been tormenting you. That fear that holds you in bondage. That person who's threatening you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. It's got to go. Stand with me. It's got to go. It's got to go. Use that name. I dare you. I dare you. Call on that name. I dare you to try him. I've been in situations where my back has been up against the wall. I didn't know any way out. But all I could do is call on that name. Call on that name. And each time I've called on him, I've been old and young. But now I recognize when you use that name, when you use that name, Use the name. And that elephant, that elephant will go. How many times should you use the name? As often as you need to. When that person's starting to cuss at you and threaten you, you say, in the name of Jesus, get thee behind me, Satan. In the name of Jesus. Don't say anymore. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I bind that spirit. In the name of Jesus, you don't have authority over me. In the name of Jesus, all things. How many things? All things are possible in that name. Let's pray. Father, we bless you.